Section one of Danger and Other Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Danger and Other Stories by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Section one Danger Being the Log of Captain John Cerise. Part one it is an amazing thing that the english who have a reputation of being a practical nation never saw the danger to which they were exposed for many years they had been spending nearly a hundred millions a year upon their army and their fleet squadrons of dreadnoughts costing two millions each had been launched they had spent enormous sums upon cruisers and both their torpedo and their submarine squadrons were exceptionally strong they were also by no means weak in their aerial power, especially in the matter of seaplanes. Besides all this, their army was very efficient, in spite of its limited numbers, and it was the most expensive in Europe. And yet when the day of trial came, all this imposing force was of no use whatever, and might as well have not existed. Their ruin could not have been more complete or more rapid if they had not possessed an ironclad or a regiment. And all of this was accomplished by me, Captain John Cerise, belonging to the navy of one of the smallest powers in Europe, and having under my command a flotilla of eight vessels, the collective cost of which was eighteen hundred thousand pounds. No one has a better right to tell the story than I. I will not trouble you about the dispute concerning the colonial frontier embittered as it was by the subsequent death of the two missionaries a naval officer has nothing to do with politics i only came upon the scene after the ultimatum had been actually received admiral horli had been summoned to the presence and he asked that i should be allowed to accompany him because he happened to know that i had some clear ideas as to the weak points of england and also some schemes as to how to take advantage of them there were only four of us present at this meeting the king the foreign secretary admiral horli and myself the time allowed by the ultimatum expired in forty-eight hours i am not breaking any confidence when i say that both the king and the minister were in favor of a surrender they saw no possibility of standing up against the colossal power of great britain the minister had drawn up an acceptance of the British terms, and the king sat with it before him on the table. I saw the tears of anger and humiliation run down his cheeks as he looked at it. "'I fear there is no possible alternative, sire,' said the minister. "'Our envoy in London has just sent this report, which shows that the public and the press are more united than he has ever known them.' The feeling is intense, especially since the rash act of Malort in desecrating the flag. We must give way. Well, the king looked sadly at Admiral Horli. What is your effective fleet, Admiral? he asked. Two battleships, four cruisers, twenty torpedo boats, and eight submarines, said the Admiral. The king shook his head. It would be madness to resist, said he. And yet, sire, said the admiral, before you come to a decision, I should wish you to hear Captain Ceres, who has a very definite plan of campaign against the English. Absurd, said the king impatiently. What is the use? Do you imagine that you could defeat their vast armada? 
sire i answered i will stake my life that if you will follow my advice you will within a month or six weeks at the utmost bring proud england to her knees there was an assurance in my voice which arrested the attention of the king you seem self-confident captain cerise i have no doubt at all sire what then would you advise i would advise sire that the whole fleet be gathered under the forts of blankenberg and be protected from attack by booms and piles and there they can stay till the war is over the eight submarines however you will leave in my charge to use as i think fit ah you would attack the english battleships with submarines sire i would never go near an english battleship and why not because they might injure me sire what a sailor and afraid my life belongs to the country sire it is nothing but these eight ships everything depends upon them i could not risk them nothing would induce me to fight then what will you do i will tell you sire and i did so for half an hour i spoke i was clear and strong and definite for many an hour on a lonely watch i had spent in thinking out every detail i held them enthralled the king never took his eyes from my face the minister sat as if turned to stone are you sure of all this perfectly sire the king rose from the table send no answer to the ultimatum said he announce in both houses that we stand firm in the face of menace admiral horlai you will in all respects carry out that which captain cerise may demand in furtherance of his plan captain cerise the field is clear go forth and do as you have said a grateful king will know how to reward you i need not trouble you by telling you the measures which were taken at blankenberg since as you are aware the fortress and the entire fleet were destroyed by the british within a week of the declaration of war i will confine myself to my own plans which had so glorious and final a result the fame of my eight submarines alpha beta gamma theta delta epsilon iota and kappa have spread through the world to such an extent that people have begun to think that there was something peculiar in their form and capabilities this is not so four of them the delta epsilon iota and kappa were it is true of the very latest model but had their equals though not their superiors in the navies of all the great powers as to alpha beta gamma and theta they were by no means modern vessels and found their prototypes in the old f-class of british boats having a submerged displacement of eight hundred tons with heavy oil engines of sixteen hundred horsepower giving them a speed of eighteen knots on the surface and of twelve knots submerged their length was one hundred and eighty-six and their breadth twenty-four feet they had a radius of action of four thousand miles and a submerged endurance of nine hours these were considered the latest word in nineteen fifteen but the four new boats exceeded them in all respects without troubling you with precise figures i may say that they represented roughly a twenty-five per cent advance up on the older boats and were fitted with several auxiliary engines which were wanting in the others at my suggestion instead of carrying eight of the very large backdorf torpedoes 
which are nineteen feet long weigh half a ton and are charged with two hundred pounds of wet gun cotton we had tubes designed for eighteen of less than half the size it was my design to make myself independent of my base and yet it was clear that i must have a base so i made arrangements at once with that object blankenberg was the last place i would have chosen why should i have a port of any kind ports would be watched or occupied any place would do for me i finally chose a small villa standing alone nearly five miles from any village and thirty miles from any port and to this i ordered them to convey secretly by night oil spare parts extra torpedoes storage batteries reserve periscopes and everything that i could need for refitting the little whitewashed villa of a retired confectioner that was the base from which i operated against england the boats lay at blankenberg and thither i went they were working frantically at the defences and they had only to look seawards to be spurred to fresh exertions the british fleet was assembling the ultimatum had not yet expired but it was evident that a blow would be struck the instant that it did four of their airplanes circling at an immense height were surveying our defences from the top of the lighthouse i counted thirty battleships and cruisers in the offing with a number of the trawlers with which in the british service they break through the minefields the approaches were actually sown with two hundred mines half contact and half observation but the result showed that they were insufficient to hold off the enemy since three days later both town and fleet were speedily destroyed however i'm not here to tell you the incidents of the war but to explain my own part in it which had such a decisive effect upon the result my first action was to send my four second-class boats away instantly to the point which i had chosen for my base there they were to wait submerged lying with negative buoyancy upon the sands in twenty feet of water and rising only at night my strict orders were that they were to attempt nothing upon the enemy however tempting the opportunity all they had to do was to remain intact and unseen until they received further orders having made this clear to commander panza who had charge of this reserve flotilla i shook him by the hand and bade him farewell leaving with him a sheet of notepaper upon which i had explained the tactics to be used and given him certain general principles which he could apply as circumstances demanded my whole attention was now given to my own flotilla which i divided into two divisions keeping iota and kappa under my own command while captain miriam had delta and epsilon he was to operate separately in the british channel while my station was the straits of dover i made the whole plan of campaign clear to him and then i saw that each ship was provided with all it could carry each had forty tons of heavy oil for surface propulsion and charging the dynamo which supplied the electric engines under water each had also eighteen torpedoes as explained and five hundred rounds for the collapsible quick-firing twelve-pounder which we carried on deck and which of course disappeared into a watertight tank when we were submerged we carried spare periscopes and a wireless mast which could be elevated above the conning tower when necessary 
there were provisions for sixteen days for the ten men who manned each craft such was the equipment of the four boats which were destined to bring to naught all the navies and armies of britain at sundown that day it was april tenth we set forth upon our historic voyage miriam had got away in the afternoon since he had so much farther to go to reach his station stephan of the kappa started with me but of course we realized that we must work independently and that from that moment when we shut the sliding hatches of our cunning towers on the still waters of blankenberg harbor it was unlikely that we should ever see each other again though consorts in the same waters i waved to stephan from the side of my cunning tower and he to me and then i called through the tube to my engineer our water tanks were already filled and all kingston's and vents closed to put her full speed ahead just as we came abreast at the end of the pier and saw the white-capped waves rolling in upon us i put the horizontal rudder hard down and she slid under water through my glass portholes i saw its light green change to a dark blue while the manometer in front of me indicated twenty feet i let her go to forty because i should then be under the warships of the english though i took the chance of fouling the moorings of our own floating contact mines and then i brought her on an even keel and it was music to my ear to hear the gentle even ticking of my electric engines and to know that i was speeding at twelve miles an hour on my great task at that moment as i stood controlling my levers in my tower i could have seen had my cupola been of glass the vast shadows of the british blockaders hovering above me i held my course due westward for ninety minutes and then by shutting off the electric engine without blowing out the water tanks i brought her to the surface there was a rolling sea and the wind was freshening so i didn't think it safe to keep my hatch open long for so small is the margin of buoyancy that one must run no risks but from the crests of the rollers i had a look backwards at blankenberg and saw the black funnels and upper works of the enemy's fleet with the lighthouse and the castle behind them all flushed with the pink glow of the setting sun even as i looked there was the boom of a great gun and then another i glanced at my watch it was six o'clock the time of the ultimatum had expired we were at war there was no craft near us and our surface speed is nearly twice that of our submerged so i blew out the tanks and our whale back came over the surface all night we were steering southwest making an average of eighteen knots at about five in the morning as i stood alone upon my tiny bridge i saw low down in the west the scattered lights of the norfolk coast ah johnny johnny bull i said as i looked at them you're going to have your lesson and i am to be your master it is i who have been chosen to teach you that one cannot live under artificial conditions and yet act as if they were natural ones more foresight johnny and less party politics that is my lesson to you and then i had a wave of pity too when i thought of those vast droves of helpless people yorkshire miners lancashire spinners birmingham metal workers the dockers and workers of london over whose little homes i would bring the shadow of starvation i seemed to see all those wasted eager hands held out for food and i john sirius dashing it aside ah oh, well 
war is war and if one is foolish one must pay the price just before daybreak i saw the lights of a considerable town which must have been yarmouth bearing about ten miles west southwest on our starboard bow i took her farther out for it is a sandy dangerous coast with many shoals at five thirty we were abreast of the lowestoft lightship a coast guard was sending up flash signals which faded into a pale twinkle as the white dawn crept over the water there was a good deal of shipping about mostly fishing boats and small coasting craft with one large steamer hull down to the west and a torpedo destroyer between us and the land it could not harm us and yet i thought it as well that there should be no word of our presence so i filled my tanks again and went down to ten feet i was pleased to find that we got under in one hundred and fifty seconds the life of one's boat may depend on this when a swift craft comes suddenly upon you we were now within a few hours of our cruising ground so i determined to snatch a rest leaving vornal in charge when he woke me at ten o'clock we were running on the surface and had reached the essex coast off the maplin sands with that charming frankness which is one of their characteristics our friends of england had informed us by their press that they had put a cordon of torpedo boats across the straits of dover to prevent the passage of submarines which is about as sensible as to lay a wooden plank across a stream to keep the eels from passing i knew that stefan whose station lay at the western end of the solent would have no difficulty in reaching it my own cruising ground was to be at the mouth of the thames and here i was at the very spot with my tiny iota my eighteen torpedoes my quick-firing gun and above all a brain that knew what should be done and how to do it when i resumed my place in the conning tower i saw in the periscope for we had dived that a lightship was within a few hundred yards of us upon the port bow two men were sitting on her bulwarks but neither of them cast an eye upon the little rod that clove the water so close to them it was an ideal day for submarine action with enough ripple upon the surface to make us difficult to detect and yet smooth enough to give me a clear view each of my three periscopes had an angle of sixty degrees so that between them i commanded a complete semicircle of the horizon two british cruisers were steaming north from the thames within half a mile of me i could easily have cut them off and attacked them had i allowed myself to be diverted from my great plan farther south a destroyer was passing westwards to sheerness a dozen small steamers were moving about none of these were worthy of my notice great countries are not provisioned by small steamers i kept the engines running at the lowest pace which would hold our position under water and moving slowly across the estuary i waited for what must assuredly come i had not long to wait shortly after one o'clock i perceived in the periscope a cloud of smoke to the south half an hour later a large steamer raised her hull making for the mouth of the thames i ordered vornal to stand by the starboard torpedo tube having the other also loaded in case of a miss then i advanced slowly for though the steamer was going very swiftly we could easily cut her off presently i laid the iota in a position near which she must pass and would very gladly have lain too but could not for fear of rising to the surface i therefore steered out in the direction from which she was coming she was a very large ship 
fifteen thousand tons at the least painted black above and red below with two cream-colored funnels she lay so low in the water that it was clear she had a full cargo at her bows was a cluster of men some of them looking i dare say for the first time at the mother country how little could they have guessed the welcome that was awaiting them on she came with great plumes of smoke floating from her funnels and two white waves foaming from her cut water she was within a quarter of a mile my moment had arrived i signaled full speed ahead and steered straight for her course my timing was exact at a hundred yards i gave the signal and heard the clank and swish of the discharge at the same instant i put the helm hard down and flew off at an angle there was a terrific lurch which came from the distant explosion for a moment we were almost upon our side then after staggering and trembling the iota came on an even keel i stopped the engines brought her to the surface and opened the conning tower while all my excited crew came crowding to the hatch to know what had happened the ship lay within two hundred yards of us and it was easy to see that she had had her death blow she was already settling down by the stern there was a sound of shouting and people were running wildly about her decks her name was visible the adela of london bound as we afterwards learned from new zealand with frozen mutton strange as it may seem to you the notion of a submarine had never even now occurred to her people and all were convinced that they had struck a floating mine the starboard quarter had been blown in by the explosion and the ship was sinking rapidly their discipline was admirable we saw boat after boat slip down crowded with people as swiftly and quietly as if it were part of their daily drill and suddenly as one of the boats lay off waiting for the others they caught a glimpse for the first time of my conning tower so close to them i saw them shouting and pointing while the men in the other boats got up to have a better look at us for my part i cared nothing for i took it for granted that they already knew that a submarine had destroyed them one of them clambered back into the sinking ship i was sure that he was about to send a wireless message as to our presence it mattered nothing since in any case it must be known otherwise i could easily have brought him down with a rifle as it was i waved my hand to them and they waved back to me war is too big a thing to leave room for personal ill-feeling but it must be remorseless all the same end of part one of danger